We all know that theater is a collaborative effort. But at the center of it all is the playwright, whose words bring the show to life on the stage. Hi, I'm Gordon Cox from Variety, and joining me today are Annie Baker, Rina Groff, Karen Hartman, and Alfred Urey. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. I want to start with a question that probably you've all been asked before, which was, where do you get your ideas? I'm in the midst of a play right now that opens next week called Compulsion. And in, with that play, I can answer that question most definitively um, because that play is based on a true story of a guy named uh, Meyer Levin. And I fictionalized that story in making the play. But when I first, I, I've, I've had to answer this question so I have these facts in my fingers. On September 17th, 1995, I was reading the New York Times and in the book review, there was a review of a book about this subject matter. And I later just discovered this about a year ago when I went to look at the article. But um, it was written by Frank Rich. And it was a rev review of this book by a guy named Lawrence Graver. And I ripped it out. And I put it in a little folder that says on it, ideas. <laughs> and then <laughs> now, however, 15 years later, a play is here. But that was how I got that idea was from the newspaper. I think, well, like, like Rena says, a light just goes on. You think, oh, that's a good idea. And I don't know why. I know that with Miss Daisy, Valerie Miss Daisy, a friend of mine who was a, wanted to be a producer, wanted me to go see a play in Connecticut somewhere. It was a two-character play about a woman in Uganda and a woman in Minneapolis, I think, who never met but corresponded. And I thought, I saw it, and I went to sleep. And, uh, and when I afterwards I said to this friend, I said, "My God, Jane, I could write a better play than that." <laughs> and then I thought about my grandmother and her driver, and the light went on. And different ones, different, but it's always got to have that light go on. And you don't, I don't know if they all know when, why the light goes on. I have no idea. I don't like sit around trying to think of ideas. When I do that, it, I think it's deadly, and I, I don't come up with anything good. It is walking around and having a little notebook handy and something. There's some like knife in your gut when you hear about something or see something and then you write it down. And then yeah, like two years later, you're, you're like, oh yeah, I had, I had that idea. I also, I also, my mother lives in New Hampshire and um, I drive to visit her like four times a year. And for some reason during that really ugly drive up like 95 and then 91 in New England, I get ideas. It's somehow driving. But yeah, it, it is. It's like a light or a knife, yeah. however, yeah. <laughs> however you want to describe it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, for me, I think sometimes it's a couple lights have to go off. Like there will be kind of a background glow that maybe I'm tracking something that I didn't know I was tracking, and then a more personal or more emotional idea, and then the glow and the idea somehow go together. Like the the play I've been working on now, um, Goldie Max and Milk, which is about a single lesbian mom and her Orthodox Jewish lactation consultant that's had a couple productions this season. The glow, I think, was knowing about this Orthodox lady who was a consultant to the new moms of Park Slope and just wondering kind of what that vibe would be like and hearing stories about her. And then something went off shortly after having a child myself that was like, I know what the story could be here. I know what the two people could be. I know what the kind of beginning, middle, end piece could be because I feel like I can track things and not know 
where the story is for a while. Mm. But yeah, those ideas where the possibility of story come out, those are few and far between. And yeah, like. Do you have a sense of who you write for? Like, do you think of it as writing for yourself or for an audience or for someone else? Combo, mostly. I write for myself and I don't really direct or, but I kind of watch it when I write it in this vague sort of way. And I have some little something, I'm not always accurate about, oh yeah, this is stage worthy and this is okay. And uh, dialogue comes pretty easy to me. So it's, it's, making, it's making it drama. I mean, you can't just write the plane took off and the plane landed. You gotta have something go on in the middle. But so it's both for me. I, I do write for an audience. I imagine an audience sitting in the theater and, and I think about that all the time. But actually, when I'm writing, I have to sort of be writing for myself because the second I start thinking about writing for some large, who am I going to reach and are they going to like it? And for, I, I start writing badly. So I actually, while the reason I got into writing for the theater was this urge to reach a larger, diverse audience, I have to sort of only be thinking about myself sitting in the audience when I'm actually mm -hmm. writing, which is a confusing thing. But. I feel maybe I write for myself and then I rewrite for the audience, kind of the, the rewrite is where I think, well, do they have enough? Does a person have enough to track this thing that moves me? Is there the, is the information there? Um, but yeah, I would, I would agree. There's, you can't counter, I can't anticipate the writing. How much of yourself do you put in your characters, do you find? Does it vary mm. play to play character to character or? I feel like that's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> right. I, I think I feel like I never, or rarely, but I would, I think almost never have set about saying, oh, this is like me. And yet at the end of the day, when the actors are up there doing it, I think, oh God, that's like me. You know, mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. it can't help but come in in various ways and in surprising ways. But um, because you did it, you know, you did it. So you are in it. Well, I, I think one of the one of the tenets of writing a good play is you have to be honest. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, every character is you because you get up to a point. Well, why is she saying this, and why is she doing this, and why is he doing that? You think, well, what makes sense to me right. about this? So also, I've found that you can tell a lot of secrets mm -hmm. when you're writing a play. Nobody knows. Nobody, you know, because you write so. I think you got to be pretty out there, I don't, uh, I'm not conscious that now I'm going to tell them about love or whatever. It just sort of comes up, like, mm -hmm. like you said. And I almost feel sometimes that I know I'm writing well if I feel a little bit embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that it's like, oh God, yeah. someone will see yeah. this and they'll know this thing. And You're out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You all agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, any or all of you, have a theory about what makes something stage worthy mm -hmm. and what doesn't? What you're, what's your sort of thinking in terms of, uh, here I have this idea and this is why it is a good idea to um, bring that story to the stage? I wish I could tell you. It either works or it doesn't for me. I, mm. When I say, when I'm like, God, this is so boring. Can I find a way to make it not mm. so boring? Can I do something? Can, mm. I think that something has to happen 
no matter if it's I, I moved it from here to here, every time you, you get a scene going, something has to happen. So I guess that's, but something is my definition of something. It might not be yours. Mm. It's so personal. It's hard yeah. to. Yeah. For me, it's like, for me, if, if I, I decide if something is stage worthy, I think if it feels like both very old and very new at the same time, like I, I feel like it has some kind of like old universal resonance, but it also feels like, oh, I have a totally different take on it and I can, I, no one's ever done that either, whether it's story or character or some like theatrical thing that's happening on stage, like no one's ever done that before with this important thing that happens to all of us or so, you know, that, that, that there's some combo of the old and the new that feels like resonant and exciting. I think that for me makes something stage worthy. You were sort of talking about the um, the danger or the fear that it's boring, you know, like that this is just a bunch of people talking. But I also, with my own writing, I sometimes have the fear of, is it too much? Like, uh, mm -hmm. I'm working on a play right now where the where the dreaded word that keeps coming up for me is it melodrama? Mm -hmm. Do you know that is it? You know, the stakes are so high and so crazy, and and I set out purposefully to do something like that. It was kind of what attracted me. Um, but and, and but I'm but I'm terrified of it in a certain way, and I'm trying to figure like I want it to feel. It's funny. I saw a friend the other day, and I said to her, "I think I'm trying to make a a new genre, and it's pedestrian gothic. You know, <laughs> that I'm trying to find this way of making it seem real to me, and yet at the same time living up to those first impulses. So I think that's another aspect of stage worthy. Is mm -hmm. is it too much? Mm. I think I think about that a lot. Mm. <laughs> What do you struggle with most as a playwright? Right now, time. Um, Karen and I were have mm -hmm. you know talked about this a lot, but we both have little kids, and just I've become a very different. My my practice of writing has become very different mm -hmm. since having kids. In some ways that I love and that I think are cool, which is I have learned to focus. In I can I can work for forty minutes. You know, that that's all the time I have right now. I'm going to get something done in 40 minutes. And I used to absolutely be a writer where it was like, oh, at 6 p.m. I have to be somewhere. I couldn't possibly get anything done today <laughs> because I, I just need that whole expanse of time. And so that has really changed the way that I approach mm -hmm. writing. And maybe it's changed my writing, too. I don't know. Uh, my problem is just page one. i, I got to get the characters to start talking to me. If they don't talk to me, there's not much I can do. <laughs> so I just kind of sit there and wait for somebody to say something. And what do you do while you're waiting? Mm, mess around. <laughs> Watch television. <laughs> Does that, is that just me? That you no. Oh. For me, it's such like a delicate, uh, I never know when I'm being lazy or when I'm like waiting right. for the news. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's this. It could be a long time. Yeah, and there's mm -hmm. been times that I forced myself to write a play quickly in three weeks because I feel lazy and I don't want to be lazy and I've written terrible stuff mm -hmm. doing that. But there's also been times where I've procrastinated for a year and have nothing to show for it and then finally push myself a little and it happens. So it's, I, I'm still figuring that. I think that's the thing I struggle that's with worse. the most is because, <laughs> yeah. well now I, I feel like if you have kids it helps. There's a, that sounds amazing if you're sitting down and right. being productive for 40 minutes. But, right. but yeah. there's still that same initial impulse thing and I think sometimes it's about, you know, you described it as they have to start talking. 
I feel like for me with every different play it's something different, but I'll be thinking about an idea and thinking about an idea and thinking about it, and then I'll have some idea or something will become clear to me that will allow me to take that first step, to yeah. jump in and start mm. writing, and it could be some formal idea about the way it's presented or what the set looks like, or it could be what the first scene is or anything, but if I'm looking and looking for that, and if I don't have that, I can't start. I jump in wrong all the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like for me, the it's just like a really difficult form, I think. And it's a difficult form, it's deceptive because, you know, dialogue is really, it's not that many words, so you can actually write a lot of it in a little time, and yet it can be completely wrong. It can sound good, and yet be the wrong place to start, or the wrong way to start, or the wrong, it can be wrong in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's just what, I mean, the timing is terrible also, but really, even with adequate time, it can still go so wrong so many ways. And there are only really a few ways I feel like each new piece could go right. Do you ever think mm -hmm. about that? It's like its own rules. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and so you're rewriting it and you think, well, you know, there like, are a thousand ways to make this worse, and there are probably three ways to make it better, yeah, yeah. but what are the odds, you know, that I'm <laughs> gonna, like, find the right? I, I, just, I just think it's hard. Oh. I've made, I've, I'm telling you, it gets harder. Thank you. Yeah. I, when I first, came, <laughs> I don't know. Well, when I first, uh, the first famous writer I ever knew was, who I think is the best uh, popular songwriter that ever was, Frank Lesser, mm. and I worked for him, and he said, "I'll tell you." He was writing something new. He said, "It's getting bad. Mm. I write slow and I throw out quick." Mm. And I don't know. I guess I'm a harder judge of my own self than I used to be, mm -hmm. and I'm less naive about what's really bad. Mm. I know, unfortunately, that if you fall in love with something you've written, it's going to eventually go. Mm. You know, oh, that's mm. so great. Mm. And it's the words. Mm. And it's mm -hmm. the way you put the words together. And that really doesn't have anything to do with making a good play. Mm. It's, it's a hell of a way to make a living. Yeah. If, yeah. And nobody makes a living at it, so that, that's not what it is. But it's a compulsion. To want to write plays, mm -hmm. it's so, <laughs> so that's does something. Yeah. Would you choose it for your children? I wouldn't. Mm. Thank you. Too hard. Mm -mm, yeah. It's better than acting, but it's too hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah better than acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. We're all like that. <laughs> I know that, which is terrible. But it, that that's making me think when when my little daughter is so emotional, my four-year-old, and seems to be such an activist, I think to myself, oh my gosh, what please no. Mm -hmm. But when she makes up a story or makes up a song, there's something very fulfilling to me about that creative act and seeing that mirrored mm -hmm. in her. And But yes, would, would I hope she goes into the theater? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that said, I, I personally think actors are the bravest people oh my I know. God. Oh yeah. Uh, and I'm not anywhere near. I mean, they just get out there and do it. I know. And they have more fun. I mean, it's harder, but they they have yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, uh, that, but then you're you're putting out there not just what you write. You know, but what you look like. That yeah. that would not work for me. That's yeah. the part that's hard. Can we maybe expand, Alfred, on uh, something you uh, mentioned just a couple minutes ago about? the things you fall in love with, and it's not just the sort of words together on the page that go into making good plays. So then what is it? How do you think of it? And what, what is it beyond the words on the page? I've, I've been thinking about that, because I'm writing a two-character play. Mm. And uh, is this uh, is it, the one you're working on now with? Lynn Lynn Meadow. Yeah. It's, uh, and it, it got, tell us a little bit about it. it yeah. 
It got delayed, not through her fault, because I didn't finish. <laughs> uh, but I sort of had not. So when you only got two characters, they don't have anybody else to talk to. And I chose to do it that way. And what attracted you to? to well, it's, it's an adaptation of a, of a memoir mm -hmm. uh, called Apples and Oranges by a woman named Marie Brenner. And it's about a brother and a sister. And uh, it's about a sibling relationship. And that interested me, because yeah. I'm in one of those. And uh, I think what it comes down to, for me, is deep understanding of the characters. I mean, really deep. Mm. And not, not just where I can hook it into being me, but where I can really understand why they're saying what they say. If I under really understand it, I can write it. Yeah. If I don't, I can't. Mm -hmm. And people can tell me, well, it's got to have more, uh, more adventure, more claws, more. I don't know what that means. Mm. It's got to be something I can translate. Oh, she really wants, really, really wants to tell him something. And if you can get to that deep understanding, then you can probably write it. Mm -hmm. But it takes a while. It's funny when you were saying those things about more claws, or um, I can remember this moment in time when people kept saying about everything, it has to be more edgy. Oh, yeah. Or I expect it to be more edgy, or you're usually an edgier writer. And, and I just felt like I have no idea what you mean. Like, like, like what does that mean? How about arc and journey? Those are <laughs> oh, God, for me, the only, yeah, when I get dramaturgical feedback, for me, it's like, well, it wasn't truth. If you didn't respond to it, then it wasn't truthful, and I up and it's not truthful but it's like for me it's like it's truthful or it's not truthful and that's it and that and there is no other dramaturgical feedback that makes sense like if someone's like that moment didn't ring true it felt false and contrived I'll be like thank you that's so helpful but anything else about arc or turning point or plot or even the character development as they refer to it like I just I don't I'm, use adjectives with me I like yeah. what you said and I agree like if somebody says to me I didn't understand that part. I can deal with that. Totally. Mm. But if somebody says, I wish it was edgy, or it makes me want to walk out of the room. <laughs> right. Because right. that's, that's like a well, not only useless, it's debilitating. Yeah. 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 I mean, you guys, were you uh, trained to work with dramaturgs? Because I never was, and I can't. I know. I think we grew up with them. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think not trained, but it was a fact. Went so you found it dramaturgs. useful? No. No. <laughs> but you find each other useful. Yeah. Yes, I, I think as a verb, dramaturg is something anyone is is a useful thing to do. It's a really useful but those thing. People. Well, it depends on the people. I think I wouldn't say that, but I think that it's useful to kind of try to enter the world of somebody else's work on its terms, not on your terms. Right. And to think, well, what does this work want to be? What, to try to get inside a work that's not yours and and think about it that way can be useful, and it can be useful to have usually another writer. I think writers are the best well, dramaturgs. Writers know how to talk to each other. They know how to talk to each other. But yeah. what you're saying about, I, I mean, I think that's why it is such a hard thing to do, because you are entering into someone else's work on their yes. terms, not on your own terms. I don't know that I could necessarily do that. I mean, we do that in a way in writers' group because we know each other. But we're also, because we're so comfortable with each other, we can step on toes and it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you can make a mistake and be like, oh, that was a mistake. Let me take that back. 
But something that struck me is when you said that thing about entering into someone else's work, it, I was reflecting on what you said, it, it, because I feel like if someone says to you, that didn't seem truthful to me, that doesn't necessarily mean like they are correct and it wasn't truthful. No. I guess it's just some information about yeah. that person and what they experienced because again, I, I mean, I have this character on stage right now in Compulsion mm. who is so outsized in what he does and he's very, f that character is very familiar to me and very dear to me, but I know a lot of people who look at him and be like, no one would behave that way and I feel like you're wrong, like he behaves that way, you know, mm -hmm. that is how he behaves. Um, and sometimes the characters that you really need in terms of plot are the ones that are harder. Yeah. If there is a story where there's someone doing stuff that's extreme, those are the characters that I find are harder to kind of pull into truth. And then <laughs> sometimes the more truthful characters, it's harder to think about in terms of an arc. Mm. Th if, that m if that makes sense, there's some kind of balance um, where um, there's some kind of balance in the storytelling between someone being forward moving in a way that is at the edge of how most humans move forward and therefore interesting, right. you know, and being not truthful because they're just a stagey, forward moving, wow. dramatic figure, you know, so. That's a really great phrase, at the edge of how most people <laughs> move forward, right? As an idea like about what playwriting <laughs> is. <laughs> it sounds as if having a, um, a community of writers around you to help you, and you know, uh, mm -hmm. Karen and Rena, you mentioned being in the same writers group, um, is is very helpful for all of you. Um, is that correct? And what is it about um, having that community around you uh, that you find so useful? Is part of it that writing itself is so solitary, and having people around you is useful and helpful? I, I think playwrights. I, I like playwrights. I I, 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 I really I really yeah. like other playwrights, and I don't think that I mean actors like other actors, but I don't think that there are other professions in the theater where people so congregate with their own. Mm. So I don't think directors hang out, you know, with eight other directors in a room just you know. I, and I think there's something about playwrights where we're part writer and we're part kind of gregarious theater person, and that there's so that. You need to sit in a room, but you also need to see other humans. And I, yeah, I don't think that, I think it's a particular double need that m might explain why playwrights group together when they're not, especially when they're not in rehearsal. If you're in rehearsal, you don't also necessarily need to hang out with other playwrights that very same day, you know? Mm. But that cycle for me. I also think there's something that you sort of alluded to, Alfred, but it's kind of a silly profession. I mean, in terms yeah. of how are you going to make a living, you know. Well, probably not. Exactly. <laughs> so, so there's something about finding other people who've made that same silly choice. Yeah. It's like um, being, in, you know, in the Bedlington Terrier Club. They're not many, but they're <laughs> all, they're, they're <laughs> rabid people. <laughs> love Bedlington Terrier. <laughs> and I think we do all basically like each other. Yeah, right. yeah. And I, Screenwriters, when I was at, don't ever see each other and mm -hmm. just want each other's jobs. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't want each other's jobs. I mean, that's not. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. That doesn't compute. No, yeah. you yeah. can't get yeah. each other's jobs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just their slot in the schedule. You get. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, but it doesn't really feel like that. And you want them all to work. Yeah. You want want the plays mm -hmm. to work. Mm -hmm. And it you want good play. Mm -hmm. Also, the writers I know who 
with my respect. I just want their plays to succeed so bad. You know, you are. And also, I think the theater world right now is so kind of conservative and stodgy and problematic that the writers I know who I think are exciting, I'm just like dying for them to succeed because I want the theater world to become a more interesting place. And you want your friends to do okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. In the writing process then, when you're working on a new idea, how soon do you start thinking about practical things like cast size and mm. number of locations or you know all that stuff? When, when does that start to figure into your computation? I try not to figure it into my computation because again, the times I've had, like there was this one time when I was like, I wanna write a play that would like win a bunch of awards. I was broke and really depressed and I was like, I wanna write a play that wins a bunch of awards that has a really small cast that's in one room. like. And I said, it's the worst thing I've ever, and I wrote it very quickly, and it will never be produced, and I would never want it to be produced. And yeah, it's the plays where I haven't thought about that, that have strangely mm -hmm. succeeded and done well. I also have never actually wanted to write a play for a really large cast. Um, so I've also sort of been lucky that my desire is often for a very small ensemble cast. That's, that's been lucky. It's funny, right now I have a play um, that has three, it's performed by three actors and three puppeteers. Um, so it's six performers, but, um, but there's three actors in it. And, um, but those two of those actors play multiple roles. Now, can I go back and like unpack, did I really, really want them to play multiple roles or was that some sort of idea that its genesis was in something about we're not gonna hire seven actors were, you know, but uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a very exciting theatrical idea and I love the way it works on stage and it feels resonant to me. Um, but I have to acknowledge that there's, there's probably ways in which these ideas about what is producible on the New York stage, for mm -hmm. example, have influenced me. Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny, one of the, the first, the earliest plays that I wrote, um, a friend of mine and, frequent collaborator um, named David Herskowitz, who runs this theater called Target Margin, asked me to write something for his theater. And I remember I was talking to him about it, and I said, you know, I think that there's going to be like 13 people in it. And he said, can there be 18? He had some idea <laughs> about like this cast that he wanted to use. And I was like, I guess so. And so I worked to try to make it be 18 instead of 13. I think I actually took one part and split it into three parts or something. They became triplet brothers or something and so now that play that play has not been produced so much but when <laughs> it gets produced it gets produced at colleges um, where also it's exciting to have a play with that many people. I once wrote a play because Wendy my friend Wendy Wasserstein wrote a play that had a staircase in it and she had great exit lines going up the stairs. <laughs> I thought well damn if Wendy can do that I'm gonna do that. <laughs> so I did it. What play is that? It's last night of Ballyhood. Oh wow! <laughs> and I had the same designer. I had John Lee, John Lee, John Lee Beatty. Yeah. There's just something yeah. really fun about people going upstairs and saying, or whatever they're going to say. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all going to try our staircase. Our staircase plays. <coughs> I feel a little bit like Annie in that I kind of, I I love the little box. I mean, in a way, when you asked first about what makes something stage worthy, sometimes for me that is a question of kind of what goes naturally in one space that's going to be, sh not necessarily one set, but like one actual room where actual humans are going to sit for a long time in one mm -hmm. place. And that there's a kind of joy in 
economy of character. I mean, I think that I don't really want to bring back the days where there are kind of waiters in plays or yeah. ex people that come in and say one thing. I think there's something really nice about casts where to put in an actor, to put in another role is a really big deal, which means that no one's going to be cast in a play who doesn't have a lot to do. I think that's a, a good thing, mm -hmm. though it probably, it definitely trains your imagination yeah. differently. And when, I mean, I did a, um, a piece for students, for MFA students, a Moby Dick adaptation this year that was also, it was for a cast of 14 and it was really, it was really fun. It was just really fun to open it up and say, yeah, each kind of thing that could happen on this boat is going to go to a different person, mm. you know, as opposed to it's all going to be contained. And it was just, it was a story I never would have chosen to tell with four people, you know, so that was that was good, and I think that those college productions are a whole nother life, theatrical life, which is um, exciting too. Yeah. And they're, yeah, so that plays can go to another group of people to get produced where you don't have to pay the actors, and then it's great. I wonder if you, you bring up uh, the, Mo the Moby Dick play you worked yeah. on. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the process of adaptation. I know most of you have done it. Um, you're working on an adaptation right now, and your play is kind of about adaptation right now. Um, yeah. And I just wonder what, uh, how you think about it. Karen, I think you mentioned to me that you enjoyed it quite a bit, so I wonder if you could talk to me about the process of bringing something to the stage that is not, that is a story that exists in another medium. Um, yeah. And that you then, then put on the stage. I think I, I love it because um, I'm a reader, and so I love the ability to fall in love with and kind of partner deeply with another piece of storytelling that has already endured. And so um, the first, one of the first adaptations I did was in graduate school, I did an adaptation of the Trojan Women. And um, I did it for a director's thesis. And I feel like I really learned how to write tragedy by writing a Euripides tragedy, kind of having to put it through my body, to make sense out of it. Um, and it, it completely changed what I thought I, Karen Hartman, could write about. Mm. You know, just having written the scenes that I didn't create but that I found the language for, I felt like that was, that was my education in tragedy. And that play, which has now been around a long time, is still around. People, it's mostly colleges, but people are still doing it. There's a reading at Red Bull next month. I mean, it's mm. still, it's kind of still in the world, and that's because of Euripides. It's not because of me. I don't care myself, but there's, um, to me, it's a great to have a break from coming up mm. with story and yet still be able to produce writing because I have more of a love for writing than I have a number of stories to tell. So I probably have room to tell other stories as well, you know, so. I don't think I could write my own play, my own play, my own play, my own play. Like, th that I like having other interjections mm -hmm. in there. I think it definitely feeds my own creativity and my stamina in a certain way that I, I don't think I could keep up that sort of, it's a very particular stamina and adaptation can do it. And I've a couple of times um, done adaptations of more contemporary novels. Mm -hmm. and, and again, right, it's fun. It's you sort of put on your thinking cap in a different way. You want to honor certain things. You have certain responsibilities to honor certain things. And, but at the same time, 
trusting yourself that you can find a way to make, to not only understand what's most important in that work of art, but to say it may or may not be the most important thing in this new work of art, and, and to try to find a way to translate it, and I think that can be really fun. It can be really hard, too. It's really hard. Because the, the one I'm working on, unfortunately, the source material is wonderful. Yeah. It's yeah. just great. Yeah. And did did you say fortunately or unfortunately? Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Because it's hard to lose all this stuff that is yeah. just not theatrical. Yeah. And, but you know, finally, uh, I decided, well, then I could just get, I don't know, some actor to stand up there and read the book, and that would yeah. do that. So then you have to just, eventually, it's those characters your way. And if the material's not great to begin with, that's kind of easy. God, I didn't like that anyway. But I like everything that Marie Brenner wrote. Right. Mm. And I couldn't. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, a way that after working on one particular thing for a little while, a thing that um, phrased itself to me was that in books, it's things that have happened in the past somehow. And in, on stage, it's things that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. Very good. And finding that way of of taking that feeling of like this happened to this is happening is very tricky yeah, and very and well and it, and if you're in love with something and the way they presented it as a happened it's kind of hard to take it and make it a happening but it's um but that's part of that that struggle i think mm. when you're writing have you ever written for a particular actor or group of actors and um i know you're nodding tell me a little bit about that decision oh, yeah. i almost always write for specific actors and I've had the experience of writing for them and either they weren't available or the theater didn't let me cast them, which was very painful. But I now, yeah, I almost always write for specific people. Can you tell, can you tell us why? I guess I sort of, I like, I've, I, I, I don't know, I fall in love with actors and yeah, not famous people, you know? Like I, there are just so many good New York stage actors who I feel like are sort of unsung heroes of the theater and I just I go through periods of like obsession with different New York theater actors and just want to write up something for them they've never done before it, I don't know it's and it it for me it really helps to have their voice in my head when I'm writing for them well that was going to yeah. be my next question how then does that fuel the development of the character you're writing it totally I mean yeah it, to it totally fuels it just because their voice their voice is in my head I mean I have so the play I'm writing now I'm writing for these two actors I know, and then there's a third character, and I don't know who would play her. You know, it's so there. So, and it, it is, it is. They're very much the characters. I'm not. You know, I'm writing things the character would say, not that the the actor would say. But but there is something. I sort of giggle to myself, picturing this wonderful actor saying the lines. But yeah, I don't know how it actually would change the character that I was writing. I almost never write with some particular actor in mind when I start. It's it's really, really rare for me. And I can think of a few exceptions where struggling to find my way in and then thinking, oh, this is the person who would do it and that allowing me. Mm -hmm. But very often on a re like when I'm coming to rewriting, I I have someone in mind and I sort of hear it in their voice and mm -hmm. and that's guiding me. Although I've never had the experience of that person who's in my head being the person to play the part. Huh. Um, and, and that's fine, too. And that's a funny gift. It's something I would never say to an actor. It's like, oh, I had you in mind, but you're not the one doing it. <laughs> but in a way, 
their brilliance is what allowed me to write the play. So, so in a way, it is a testament to how great they are, mm. but I don't think any actor would, would really love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I think the easiest writing is when you're in rehearsal with a play and you've got the actors there and their voices are in your ears. Do you, you find that the easiest? Yes. Do you find it the hardest? That's amazing. Yeah, I find that I impossible. Find that right. Yeah. Because why? Because you're afraid that they're influencing it too much, or it's. I guess it's not. I probably can't separate the uh, presence of the actors from the mm -hmm. time table of rehearsal. Yeah. But I just find it. Uh, all like all I like to do is cut in yeah. rehearsal. I mean, I I just want to get rid of. I would cut it to five minutes. If I, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get rid of everything. Because yeah, I start so off at five minutes. <laughs> I start off at seven, and then. <laughs> but putting things in, I th I think that's amazing, and I always wish that. And I do I do write in rehearsal, but as little as I you as little as I can. But it's not that the actors get in the way. The actors are great, and and that can help. It's instant you know? It's instant gratification because you write it and they say it. You know, the next day. Well, maybe it's instant gratification if you write it and they say <laughs> it. <laughs> they say it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a big rehearsal rewriter too. That's great. Um, in general, in general, I really like to rewrite in rehearsal. Well, you're the director's there yeah. and usually yeah. encouraging. Yeah. To have a good one. Right. Yeah. That was going to be one of my, my next question, actually, is how then do you work with the director as you're mm. bringing a new piece to the stage for the first time? It's important. How so? Well, that's your collaborator in a way, and that's the person you trust the most. And I've had a couple of bad, I hope you all haven't, but I've had some mostly good, but some bad ones. Mm. And it's like a terrible, terrible mm. love relationship that you just don't want to, the last thing you want to do is like get in bed with that person that day. You just, mm. and it, it, it's debilitating and soul wearing and everything else. But a good one is the opposite. Mm. You kind of want to do it because you want to do it for yourself and you want them, you want to please them and it's mm. a nice relationship. What mm. sorts of insights do you find a director particularly brings to a show, to a script? I don't know. You mean like helping you rewrite or actually once you're in rehearsal and they're staging? Helping you sort of shape the play in your head and rewrite and mm. trim or whatever you like to do in mm. rehearsal. Um, how is it the way, the, the way a director thinks helps you think about uh, Asking script? the right questions maybe. Yeah. For me, yeah, it's who the director, I mean, it, it, ideally the director is someone whom you respect and you share an aesthetic, and so then it's incredibly valuable, I think. A director you don't totally trust or have the same taste as would, is, is just the worst, and then when they give you feedback that you don't agree, it's just horrible. But if you're working with someone you like, it's so exciting, and they give you mm -hmm. a good piece of feedback, and it's helpful, and it breaks the play open for you, it's the best, you know, it's really... I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about before with dramaturgs. I think a, a really good director of a new play wears that hat as well. I mean, is yeah. is in this new piece that may not... Where's the dramaturg hat? You mean? Where's the dramaturg hat? Yeah. Um, and hopefully they're doing it in the application of this play to kind of real people, in a rea like real actors on a real stage are going to do this material. And so that may be the gap that's between the first draft and the production draft is kind of how does the <laughs> rubber hit the road once it's moving. And so a good director can help track that, but you're going the same place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also just 
think about this thought a lot, that um, directors are people who spend a lot of time thinking about how to talk to actors and thinking about mm. what can I say that is the most useful thing that I can say to an actor at a given moment. And that is not something that I spend a lot of time thinking right. about. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always want to trust that, that, that I can communicate with the director and say, this is what's mm -hmm. going on for me, like this is what I'm seeing. But I would never want to say, I, I wouldn't want to try to do that to an actor. I, I, right. I, I want that there's someone whose job it is to, to help make that conversation happen. Um, seems really valuable to me. And I guess what Karen's talking about too is, um, that I find that w once you're getting to that place where you're talking about a director, you're talking about the physical life mm -hmm, of the show mm -hmm. is, is coming more into the foreground, that it's not just words on a page, but so how are these things gonna rise up in terms of the actor, in terms of the set, in terms of all these different things? And that's the beginning of a really exciting mm -hmm. conversation that can make you think new things about the play, like I don't need a scene in the bathroom or, or whatever right. it is because it, it sort of brings things about the play to light. Mm -hmm. I think what you said though about getting in there with the actors mm -hmm. is so is so useful because I think there's a way that we're kind of results oriented. I mean, we by the time rehearsals start, I mean, we are mostly done with our work. And so we show up on day one and it's almost like it's our opening night, you know, and everyone else is like, bagels, coffee, <laughs> you know, here we go. And I don't know, at least I'm like, okay, here we go. And um, that there's something about honoring people who are, have to be at the beginning of their process mm -hmm. that I find um, I don't naturally have the patience for. Mm, yeah. And so it's really good to be able to hand off that patience to somebody else <laughs> and to say like, okay, well, we know that accent's not gonna work, right? Privately and to kind of understand, <laughs> okay, right. So we're gonna try it and, you know, kind of, I'm really very relieved to have somebody mm. carrying the mm. process um, so that I don't have to carry the, the process. And I'll yeah. say something crazy too, what you just said about sharing an aesthetic with the director, which I think can be really valuable. But I also think there can be an interesting marriage where you have sort of different ideas oh, about yeah. something and that, mm. and that, that there are things that I recognize about myself that is like, oh, that's not my taste, but I get that. And, 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 and that you can find a way of coming together. Sometimes I think you can get the, the, the sum is you know, greater than each of the parts because, it's, because there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that or there's some oh, tension I, I there. I agree. I just recently did a... I'm still working a little bit of a dance piece with Martha Clark, mm, wow. who's about as different from me as you can be. But <laughs> she's a genius, yes. and I love her work. Yeah. And we did this piece together about the Shakers, and it just sort of, I worked in the room with her and these dancers, and unlike actors, dancers will do anything. <laughs> I'm going to ask you why. <laughs> and you'd say, well, <laughs> after that scene, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and I found myself naturally pushed into writing stuff I never would have mm. been. Right. Mm. And I was so proud of my decision. Right. Really all good. Uh, so it's very exciting to... But do you think it's partially because you were in a new form? Like yeah. you didn't have these preconceived ideas Yeah, and it, was, it. it yeah. wasn't my thing. It was Martha's thing. Right. It. it was probably one of the most exciting things mm. I've ever done. I've How did you come to that collaboration? Well, I wanted to write something about the Shakers. Uh -huh. And it was just so cuckoo. I knew it wasn't really a regular play. Mm. And I had met Martha, and I went up to her at this party. I barely knew her, and I said, do you want to work on a show about the show? <laughs> and she said, okay. That's 
great. But I would tell you that getting outside of what you usually do, yeah. and uh, it was so exciting. Did it happen? Yeah, it Where happened. Did it happen? Happened at the uh, American Dance Festival last summer. It's going to happen in New York, I think. But it's a whole completely yeah. other world. And writing stuff for people that really aren't actors, but they're performers, and they're completely comfortable with their bodies, mm. but they're a little shy about that. It's just exciting. You just find yourself, yeah. ooh, I can do that, you know? Is it all dancers speaking? As opposed to what? Act okay. Some actors, some dancers? No, it's all dancers, but they can act in the... And Shakers, there were a lot of songs, so they all sing mm -hmm. a cappella mm -hmm. stuff. It's, mm -hmm. it's pretty nuts, but they were. But if you ever get a chance to yeah. push yourself out to that mm -hmm. stuff, it's really fun. I mean, I feel like somebody should have paid me to do it. I certainly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should have made you do it. That's not a weird feeling to have. No. We want to believe that's not a weird feeling to have. I don't think anybody does dance theater. <laughs> no. Who or what do you consider um, an influence or some of your major influences as a, as a playwright? I wonder if you guys like feel the same way, but there's like all the old school people who like influenced you, and then there's all the people writing now who who influence you constantly and mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm learning so much from my peers and the theater I see mm. every week it's so I, I sort of feel like I'm influenced by everybody or like every even the plays I hate I'm like oh, I don't yeah. want to be let that play was horrible I don't want I want to make sure I never write that kind of you know like sort of con it's why the theater is exciting because you can I feel like it's constant influence mm. but I can yeah. truly say that the plays of every person who's sitting at this table have have made me think about things. Do you know what I mean? Yes. To make me think, oh, she does that differently than I do, or he makes that setup incredible. He's focusing on a group of people that I'm interested in. Every, it's really literally true that I've had that thought about, um, how, how did this person do that? And I wouldn't do it like that, but how would mm -hmm. I do that? Mm -hmm. And um, but I, I know what you mean about, th there's the other terrible thing I think about when you start to list people um, uh, of like this, this person or that person because it's, it's uh, the feeling of like, oh, did I leave someone out who's yeah. really dear to me or something or did I, did I put too much weight on something? And I also feel like uh, that you're always asked to, you didn't ask this, but you're always asked to list like theater influences and I feel like I've been influenced by music, by novels, mm -hmm. by, uh, by paintings, by, by so many different art forms have actually exerted equal influence on my writing. I don't know well, I, I think all of us are professional playwrights, so something that really interests me is what I would go by is craft and who to learn craft from. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty hokey because for years and years I taught high school English. And for years and years and years, I taught the Scottish play and Romeo and Juliet over and over and over and over and over and over. And I've got inside of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that man sets everything up, mm -hmm. he says, boy, Lady M, she's acting so crazy. And then she comes in and acts crazy, and then she leaves, and they say, she was acting so crazy. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just clear, clear, clear mm -hmm. all the time. And since I could never contract to be either Shakespeare or Chekhov, I can at least have them as models for myself. I do the same thing. I mean, I, I still I still go kind of if I'm not sure how to handle something in a story, I'll kind of try to think of a Shakespeare play where a similar thing happened. 
and go and see how it's written there. I he mean, knew yeah, I mean, he knew everything. And I, I don't understand how it was possible. I don't understand how it's possible that I can see why people think that one person didn't write those plays, though one person did. But how did one person know everything? It's really strange. I think, yeah. It's really interesting to see a play like King Lear as an older man mm -hmm. and as a younger man because mm -hmm. I now can understand how come he picked the daughters he picked because they were nice to him. The other one wasn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> Do you guys read reviews? No. Why or why not? They hurt my feelings. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> it used to be, it's, it, it started that I stopped reading my own reviews because, they, uh, well, because I was hurt by them or because of something. But then it got to this place for me where I would read reviews of other of friends and then those would bother me and hurt my feelings and infuriate me and make me crazy. And then that circle just sort of expanded to <laughs> that, that, that reading it made me crazy. And, and so I really, I rarely read any reviews. Of check them out, sort of. of it. I mean, as you say, like you sort of hear these things. Yeah. But someone once said this really great thing and I forget who it was who, who, who said this to me, but I think an important skill, and, and I see it happen to myself sometimes, is to never assume that because you read the review, you know anything about what your experience of that show would have been. Oh, you don't. And, and, mm. it, but it's hard to remember that sometimes, especially if you hear, oh, it got good reviews, or oh, it got bad reviews, and you start to feel like you know something. It's the experience. And, and you, that either go to that play and know something about your experience of the play mm. or don't. But yeah, I mean, it, right, we were talking about it before, it's that cliche, it's like the bad ones hurt and the good ones are never good enough. But the experience of doing the play is all mm. with you, mm -hmm. and that stays with you. Although I can say something, so I just had this experience where I had a, a production in New Haven, a production in Berkeley, and a production now in New York, and the play has been changing and growing at that time. And before that, I, I've come to a place in my life where I, I try not to read reviews, as I said. But this particular time, because I knew I was going to be growing with the play and making changes, there was a certain moment where I thought to myself, you know, some guy in the street can come up and say something to me about the play, and I'm not going to say, um, no, don't talk to me about the play. I will not hear what you're saying about the play. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, then I'll read what these other people said too. And I was able to read it. It was after the show in New Haven closed, and just to sit down one afternoon and read it, and sort of say like, oh, these are some of the responses. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's most painful is after your show opens in New York, and it's either right your tombstone or your your coming out party or something, mm -hmm. and that sort of. But it's not anymore. It's changed. You think? I think I've lived to see the day where the New York Times review doesn't really mean anything anymore, particularly. It doesn't uh, mean anything to like my friends or well, me, but it. But it. It does. It does. It, it, it doesn't That's mean the, the same problem. thing that it used to. I think. Oh, it right. absolutely doesn't. It it can't kill a show. There are shows that can't be killed by a well, bad. Wicked would be a good exactly. example. Yeah. Exactly, but there are shows that. An off-Broadway show can, can be killed Usually. by yeah. a review. Probably. Yeah. Which is all the reviews or just the Times? By the Times. I agree. No. It, and I think I, I think both probably are true, the that it's smaller the show, the smaller the show, or made the newer the people you know? involved, the more yeah. the review matters. You know, the more known the people involved, the mm -hmm. less the one review yeah. matters. You know, well, I guess I'm I'm talking about something different, and that's a revival of a play mm. that mm. was already a success. It was yeah. already beloved and, and has an audience. Yes, and yeah. that uh, the fact I that it got a bad review in the Times, nobody even knew. 
Yeah. Because he had a big old picture of Vanessa Redgrave and James Earl Jones. But that's a great play that everybody... I don't know if it's a great play, but it was a play that had a name to it. I guess that's what I mean. I do yeah, I think well, that's what we mean too. I mean, I think producers talk about mm -hmm. that—that that you have to create a certain type of event that is um, New York Times proof, and there's and there's certain kinds of things that do, can do that—revivals mm -hmm. or huge eventness, like the way that Wicked was had. Or Spider-Man, which is certainly they're going to see. Yeah. Well, yeah. But now you're talking about real plays. You're not talking. About <laughs> that. Yeah. I'm talking about like a new off-Broadway world premiere. Right. Unless it gets revived somewhere by somebody who sees it or But the chances of that are much more slim if it doesn't get the New York Times review. Mm -hmm. And the chance of that are so much more high if it does get the New York Times review. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you've had this experience where mm -hmm. uh, there's interest in a play and the New York Times review isn't positive and that interest goes, mm -hmm. it just goes away. And that's very unfortunate. You know, we're about to run out of time, but I wondered if we could end on kind of a kind of a big question, which is how do you see how do you see the role of the playwright in hmm. society and in the sort of uh, in the world of the theater and art in general? My emotional response is like I'm simultaneously like we're irrelevant, we're irrelevant, and I'm like we're so important, we're so important. I feel I just careen between feeling like totally irrelevant and actually like I'm doing something really important and I it, it's so it's so confusing so curious what you guys yeah what do you consider uh, important I about it I guess what I, I guess I feel and this is a really dorky answer like there is something about being a little bit like a blues singer only much less cool <laughs> <laughs> where there's there's I feel like a, a playwright is by profession trying to experience empathy and trying to put him or herself into difficult positions and painful positions and try to see the way through. And in a best case scenario, that might help somebody else see their way through such a situation. I mean, that's not really a societal answer. It's more of an uh, art artistic answer, I guess. But um, but in the best case scenario, I think that that's what a writer is doing, is, is attuning, attuning those emotions that I think most people through life narrow or, or shut off, you know, um, in order to tell the bigger stories that people have to live in every once in a while, you know. I think, uh, I, I think we're like, you know, after dinner and after We've had our bath. I think we're the we're the nurse. <laughs> I think we our job is to like entertain people and get them actively interested in in something for two hours before they go to bed. I, I don't think it's you can make them think, you can make them laugh, you can make them do it, but it's like connecting with people at that usually at that time of day. I mean, yeah. I, I I don't mean that in, in any flippant way. I, I think it's true that yeah. we basically are entertainers mm -hmm. and it's how good we are at it so you don't see the sleight of hand mm -hmm. because I mean the greatest plays in the world with the most serious Aeschylus you name it those are entertainments they may not be everybody's idea of entertainments but that's what they're supposed to be mm -hmm. and I think that's actually a great place for us to wrap this up thank you all for joining us thank and thank you for joining us these programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV.
On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Gordon Cox, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.